Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. You got your Bibles tonight? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture there. We'll get into the Word a little bit. Has anybody ever looked at something and wondered how it works? Right? Maybe, maybe a tool, maybe an object you weren't familiar with and you asked the question, what does that do? Anybody besides me ever been there? Right? And, and there's, over the years, there have been some things in life that I've come across, and I, I feel like I'm pretty smart most of the time. I can figure a lot of stuff out. But there have been some things that I really didn't understand what they were supposed to do. And on a few occasions, there have been some things that I didn't really know how they work. And occasionally, those things were just, they just leave you with that place wondering, what does that do? And then some smarty pants comes along and picks it up and shows you what it does. And it's like, ah, that's what that does. And so tonight we're going to talk about faith, and we're going to start here in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to tell you this, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we're supposed to know what faith does, right? And, and, and most of us have a good understanding of how it works, but sometimes we need to be reminded. Somebody needs to pick it up and show us again how it really works. So let's read together 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church, says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. The contemporary English version says, Test yourself and find out if you're really true to your faith. Kind of a little difference there, right? The King James goes on and says, Prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. That contemporary English version says, if you pass the test, you will discover that Christ is living in you, but if Christ isn't living in you, you have failed. Amen? And so, uh, I don't want to be in a place where my faith becomes my failure. Amen? God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So most theologians will tell us that there are three basic components or three basic pieces of faith. And before we dig into these components of faith that we're going to talk about tonight, I want to maybe step back and talk to you about what I'm going to describe as a foundational element of faith. There's one requirement that you have to have in order to have faith. Now, this is going to sound really weird to you because sometimes the obvious thing is the thing that we don't talk about. 
And so the foundational element, the thing that I want to talk about that I'm going to call foundational to your faith is simply this. It's called discontent. Discontentment. What, what are you talking about? I'm talking about in order to have faith, you've got to be discontent with something. Now, discontent's pretty simple. It's a lack of contentment. It's dissatisfaction with a situation or a circumstance. And, and I know that doesn't seem to sound right to you because we're in church and we're all supposed to be doing good and we're all supposed to be content. And we're all, but the truth is, we, really discuss, we, we rarely discuss our discontent. And that discontentment with a situation or a circumstance or something in life, that is the thing that pushes us or propels us into faith. So what I'm really saying, while it rains really hard outside right now, is that whatever you're discontent with is what's truly going to motivate your humanity to move to a place of healing, to move to a place of, of health. And so we, we kind of get that. We kind of understand that. But we don't stand up and say something's got to be wrong in order for you to have faith. But the reality is that if everything was right in your world, you wouldn't need faith. If everything was good all the time, right, you wouldn't need to have any faith. Why? Because we understand what the Bible says. We know about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, faith is the substance of the things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen or things that we haven't seen yet. And so we understand, we grasp this as children of God because we operate, we live in a place of faith, and we get the fact that faith is the substance or faith is the ingredient or faith is that tangible element that I'm hoping for, that I'm, that I'm looking for. And so if you've got hope, anybody have hope in the room tonight? Amen. That means that your current reality is not what you want it to be. Now I'm going to kind of step back for a minute because most of you have never heard that in church before. If you're going to have faith and if you're going to have hope, then the, the bottom line reality is there's got to be something in your life that's aggravating you and irritating you and upsetting you. Now, wait a minute, Brother Roberts. I know it's your birthday, but you need to get up and say something positive, right? Listen, this is why you need faith, because right, the, everything in life is not going to go the way you think it should. Now, let me flip that script just a little bit. Everything shouldn't go the way you think it should, all right? But the faith that you're going to have in Jesus Christ is the ingredient that's going to produce hope into your life. And so if that's the case, you've got to understand that, that every time, some of you are going to, you're just not going to like this already, every time something goes wrong in your life, it upsets you. There's four or five honest folk, Right? You don't like to be upset, and you like things to go right. You want to be content all the time. So do I, right? But here is the reality, that as mature men and women, as believers in Jesus Christ, every time something goes wrong, it's an opportunity to exercise my faith in God. Now, what I find more often is when things go wrong, I, ex I exercise my opportunity to be angry. Or I exercise my opportunity to complain. 
I, I can see by some heads moving. Either you're trying to listen to sounds of marbles or you're agreeing with me and you're exercising in the same gym that I am. So I, either it's too quiet in here or somebody really agrees with me. What are you saying? I'm saying that if your marriage is, right, if you're hoping that your marriage is going to be this or that, that it currently means that your marriage is not this or that. If you're hoping to have money one day, then it means that right now you're broke. So that's just a little bit too basic. No, no. If you're hoping for a complete restoration and complete healing, then it means that there in your life currently there's a problem, there's an issue that you cannot overcome. And so before we really dig into some elements of faith, I want you to understand that if you're going to be a man or a woman of faith, you're going to have some issues. You're going to have some discontent. You're going to have some things that just don't go your way, right? Now, what does that mean? That means that if you're going to be mature, hold your thumb up like that. That means you can't suck on that thumb. Oh, man, this, this, is, this is friends and family night tonight, right? And so faith is born when circumstance in your life are less than ideal. Somebody looked around the room and said, man, I got lots of faith in, or at least lots of opportunity for faith, right? Here's what the writer Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 8 and 15. He said, we looked for peace. What does that mean? It means we hoped for peace, but no good came, and we looked for or we hoped for a time of help, and behold, trouble was there. What, what is he talking about? He's talking about he's given us some human perspective. They looked around in all of their turmoil and all of their tribulation, and they said, look, I want some peace. I want some help, and all I'm seeming to get is trouble. And, and what, what's going on here? That without this element of discontent, without this, 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 this basic idea that things are not right in my life, then I won't have a desire. I won't have a motivation. I won't have something innate inside me to seek after the presence of God. But the devil has convinced the church that every time something goes wrong, God doesn't love you. Hello? Right? And, and, and so you, you kind of got to step back sometimes from the obvious. I don't know how many times I've been doing something, working on something, building something, making something, trying to repair something, and got aggravated with it. And, and, and I found out that if I just kind of step back and get away for a minute and go do something else for a minute, because I'm not going to leave it for long. It's not in my nature. But if I can come back to it, I've got a little bit of a renewed perspective. And so here, here's the bottom line. If you're going to be a man or a woman of faith, you should expect that there, there are going to be some less than ideal circumstances in your life. And you're looking at me like, man, you must be crazy. Jesus said it this way. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul wrote it from a Roman prison cell this way in Romans chapter 5. He said, therefore, being justified by faith, we've got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But verse 3 is where I really want to go. And not only so, 
This is Paul writing from a jail cell, but we glory in tribulations also. Paul says, wait a minute, our justification comes through faith, our access to God is through faith, the grace and the promises of God all come through faith, which we we need, right? We got to have that, right? And he said, oh yeah, we glory in tribulation. And I've read that, I've taught from that, and I looked at that and went, no, we don't. But we're supposed to. I'm trying to help somebody with some perspective here. The word used for glory in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, is the same, I'm sorry, the, the, the word used for glory in verse 3 is the same word used in verse 2 for rejoice. And in the Greek, that word glory means to boast or to celebrate. And so this is the idea of somebody holding their head up and holding their head up in spite of negativity. Can you imagine being in a place when something goes wrong where your perspective is so different that instead of getting upset and going to God and complaining in prayer, that your perspective is such as this is an opportunity to exercise my faith. That might be a little too deep for Wednesday night. That might be a little bit too tough for my humanity to pick up on some days. And so the commentators would tell you that what, what's really going on here is that I can hold my head up be, no, matter, no matter what's going on in my life because I've got a unique vantage point. I've got a perspective, right? And so the reason that a person of faith can glory or boast in the face of negativity is because they've got a different outlook. They've got a different view of things. No matter what's going on in my life, it's not eternal. Jesus is calling My point is this, you're not going to have faith without some trouble, because faith or that trouble is the thing that's going to stir you. It creates, right, this creates all kinds of holes in our modern day theology. Can I tell somebody that one of the worst things that could ever happen to you is for you to become content? Now, wait a minute, I didn't come to church to get abused. I didn't come for you to tell me that I need more trouble. I didn't come for you to tell me all of that, right? Because that discontent, that irritation, that unhappiness, that dissatisfaction is the very thing that's going to move you into seeking Jesus Christ in a place of exercising your faith. Why? Because discontent is going to keep you pressing and moving and right? Discontent is going to keep you pressing into the things of God. It wouldn't take long for most humanity. I'm not going to put everybody in the same bucket, but it wouldn't take long for most of us if everything in life was just, what do they call it, peachy king, right? If everything in life was just going the way you thought it would, and you had a a, a bubble gum in your mouth, and you were skipping down, right, singing singing your song, doing your thing, it wouldn't take long where you wouldn't feel the need to come to the house of God. And so God has created or manifested that in this world you're going to have trouble. Why? Because he knows that you need him. And he knows that if you ever get to a place where you're just content. I know Paul said, I've learned to be content. But he was talking about in spite of his situations. And he was talking about he's content in his relationship and his faith with God. And so what am I saying? I'm saying that you've got to have some trouble. You need some trouble. And the perspective for the mature man or woman of God isn't that something's going 
going wrong, the perspective just might be, this is an opportunity for me to have faith. Now, you won't get this kind of teaching somewhere else. You're not going to get this on the internet because they're not going to tell you something that you don't want to hear. And so tonight, let's look at three things with that as a backdrop, as a foundation point, that you're going to have some trouble. I want to look at three things that faith does, some things that you're connected to faith. And if you do all three of these things, right, then you're going to prosper in your walk with God. You're going to grow. But if you're not doing these three things, then it's probably not faith at all. That's hard stuff right there, right? The first one is simply this. Faith, by, nef- by definition, faith is always anticipating a better day. Tell your neighbor, faith's anticipating. You see, faith has somehow seen the future and now believes that there is something better coming down the road. We sing about it, and the psalmist wrote about it in Psalms 84 and 10. He said there one day or a day in the court is better than a thousand, and we sing better is one day, right? And we, and we sing that, and so what are you talking about? I'm talking about anticipation. Without this idea of anticipation or believing that there is something better, then real faith doesn't exist. Because by definition, that's what faith is. And so faith is anticipatory. Faith anticipates. But there's two different definitions in the English language for anticipate. The first one deals with expectation and prediction. Now, some of you are really good at this. But I'm going to tell you before I tell you what it is, that it's really not faith. So this first idea of anticipation is have an expectation or prediction. It's about expecting or predicting that something's going to happen. Some of you have been to the Nostradamus class of predicting the future. You know everything that's going to happen. I've even had some good people tell me, walk up to me and say, I know what you're thinking. I didn't charge him, bro, because dumb looks are free. I didn't, I didn't even give him a bill. I'm like, how do you know what I'm thinking? I'm not even sure what I'm thinking, but you know what I'm thinking. You got more faith than I do because I can't anticipate what I'm thinking. I'm just trying to hold on. I'm just trying to make it to heaven. But you know what I'm thinking. I'll smile. And like I said, Brother Phils, I won't charge him. But I swear to you, I, I, I ain't got a clue. I don't know how you know what I'm thinking. I wish you'd tell me what I'm thinking so I could be ahead of it. I, I'd like to get out there. But this really... Just this idea, and, and we get this. We understand what an expectation is, and we understand what a prediction is, and you can predict that something's going to happen, right? And, you know, my son, he, he hates watching TV with me. He hates, he said, I can't watch a movie with you because I, always, I can look at the movie, and 10 minutes in, I can tell you most of the time what the, what the ending's going to be, right? And, and he's like, I just can't stand that. I hate that. And I'm like, why? Wow, I already got to figure out. I know why. Well, it's predictable, right? And so some things are predictable. But can I tell you that faith really, in its truest sense, is not predictable? It's not, it's not that. And so the second definition for anticipation is where real faith comes from. And it's really simple. It's the state of anticipation, So what what do you mean the state of anticipation? The state of anticipation is almost always connected to an emotion. And so when I say the state, I'm talking about a condition of anticipation. If we got one of these nurses up here and held that little magic wand up and they put on you, you got a condition of anticipation, right? And so what they're talking about, it's usually involving some type of pleasure. 
or, or some type, right? It, it's always, for me, it's connected to food. What's that old commercial? They put the big cheeseburger up there. Anticipation is making. I'm dating myself now, but I'm old enough to do that, right? Some of you, some of you are watching the same thing, right? And so there's a condition or a state where you're anticipating something. And so this idea of anticipation is looking forward. You're looking forward to something that's happening in the future. It's like I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I'm watching with my eyes wide open. I'm waiting with bated breath. I'm, wait, I'm watching. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I just can't wait for this, this scene or whatever's going to happen to unfold in front of me. And it's that feeling that you get right before you do something and you're not sure how it's going to turn out, but you're optimistic and you're excited. This is what anticipation is. And this is how faith works. If you've already got it figured out and you've got it predicted and you've got it expected, that's not really faith. Faith is anticipatory. Faith is leaning on the edge of the seat. Faith says, I don't really know how it's going to turn out, but I know something is going to happen. And that's where faith really works. That's how this anticipation, there's a vein of anticipation that is filled with hope and it rushes through our life. It rushes through and we're filled with joy and excitement and a tinge of nervousness. This is how coming to church should be for us. This is how it was for David when he said, I was glad. When, why? There was some anticipation. There was some joy and some excitement. There was some nervousness. There was some, some trepidation maybe. I I'm just, I'm just, I'm just can't wait to get there. And so this idea of anticipation is waiting to see. Now, I, I, I was going to say I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure it's the same for you as it is for me. It always feels like to me that time spent in anticipation seems longer than it really actually is. No one? This is because you're holding on and you're, you're waiting to see what happens and it feels like you're all bottled up and you feel like you're literally going to bust. Why? Because that's what real faith and real anticipation does because anticipation is the day leading up to the event. Now, I, I love to fish. I love to. But if I'm going fishing in the morning, Brother Silvati, I generally don't sleep good that night. And Brother Scott, it's fishing. I do it, I do it regularly. I, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And, but I'm just, like, excited about it. And I'll wake up three or four or five times in the night and get up and check my watch and make sure I haven't overslept. Why? Because I'm anticipating another day on the water. I'm anticipating setting that rod and that, you know, I'm anticipating all of, all of that excitement, right? And so this is what anticipation is. It's what you feel in those last few seconds at that game-changing play, right? It's a, it happens as you wait at the airport, waiting for that loved one that you haven't seen forever or getting off that airplane. It's the unfolding. It's the moment before that fills you full of hope and excitement. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what faith is. It's anticipation. It's not expectation or prediction. It's I'm, I'm excited about what God's going to do. He may not do it today, but I'm going to go to the house of God because today might be the day. Right now might be the time. Now in the world, this idea of anticipation, it's usually, it's the anticipation is usually more exciting than the actual event. Anybody ever been there? Man, why? Because I just, I, I wanted this so bad. I was waiting for this to happen, and when it finally happened, it just, yeah. 
But this is never true in the kingdom of God. Because if you will show up on a Sunday morning with some anticipation, not some expectation or some prediction, but coming in, well, it's just going to be another church service. That's a prediction. Well, we're going to come, we're going to sing three or four songs, we're going to get an offering, we're going to make some announcements, we're going to do something silly, and we're going to preach, and we're going to go home. That's an expectation. But if I can change this to a place of anticipation, where I can't sleep the night before, and I'm at when was the last time somebody had that kind of faith? When was the last time you woke up in the middle of Saturday night and said, man, it's only, it's only six more hours to church. It's only four more hours to prayer. It's only two more hours, and we're going to hear the Word of God. This is what faith does. Real faith is anticipatory. Yes. But when you've got an expectation, you've got a picture made up in your mind that's set in stone, something that you expect to happen. And expectations can be really detailed, but the problem is they're created in the mind. They're created by human reasoning, and expectations can be draining because it's your plan and your idea. And that's why Isaiah can write it like this, they that wait, they that anticipate, those that are hanging on, those that are waiting on the Lord, they're going to renew their strength. They're going to rise up. They're going to mount up with wings like eagles because anticipation and expectation while they sound similar they're not really the the same thing because when I'm expecting something I've got a specific idea I've got I already made up in my my mind how God's going to do it and when God's going to do it I've got a vision of what I think is going to happen and while you know it could happen that way you're not giving God the room to be God and allowing him to do those things and so expectations can be negative or positive they can be realistic or idealistic but most of the time they're not they're they're very seldom met but anticipation creates something that begins to build up in you and no matter what my circumstance no matter what my situation, no matter my negativity, if I'm up or I'm down, whether I'm good or I'm bad, whether I'm doing well or not doing well, I get into the house of God and I've got a little jump in my step. I've got a little hunger in my soul. I'm anticipating a move of God. I'm looking forward to Jesus doing something in the house. But you control that. I control that for me. I can't give you expectation. I can't give that to you. You create those yourself, and I can't give you anticipation. You've got to do that for yourself, but you've got to, you've got to set your focus and say, you know what, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm looking forward to what you're going to do today. Amen. The difference is this, is i got an expectation. I can work towards that. I can fuel that expectation. Because my actions are influenced and are motivated by my expectations, whether I realize it or not. But faith, when it begins to anticipate, it begins to believe the things that are unbelievable. It begins to gather in the promises of God. And it says those promises are going to be true. They're going to happen in my life no matter what. It doesn't matter how long i got to fight. It doesn't matter how long I've got to wait. They're going to happen. Why? Because there's a spirit of anticipation. But expectation says, yeah, God will do it. It's one of the reasons why we're always begging you 
Brother Roberts, you sound like a broken record. I'm, I'm, I'm going to break that record till Jesus takes me out of here. One of the reasons I'm always pleading with you to get in the Word, because there's promises in here. And the promises of God, they don't create expectation. They create anticipation. They create that. Why? Because God will do what He said He will do. You've got to understand that. Uh, somebody ought to open your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and begin to write this down. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering. He's patient toward us. He's not willing that I'm going to perish or that you're going to perish, but that we're all going to come to a place of repentance. That's anticipation. I want my faith to anticipate that God's going to do something. I want my faith to go beyond an expectation because it's so easy in our humanity to come in and go, well, I know how church is going to go today. And miss out completely on what the Spirit of God wants to do. The second point that I would make about what faith does is pretty simple. Faith anticipates, and anticipation is always birthed in true faith. But faith doesn't just anticipate, faith moves. Tell your neighbor, faith acts. It's not, it's not stagnant. It doesn't sit around twiddling its thumbs. It doesn't sit around feeling sorry for itself. Faith never says, well, God's going to take care of this or guess, you know, just going to have to wait and see what happens. That's not faith. That's surrendering to the fate of a circumstance. That's not faith. And so let me, let me show you some of, some of the things out of Hebrews chapter 11 that are, are probably going to show us what, what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and you, you know the scripture. The writer says this, what shall I say? For time will fail me. I'll tell you of, Gide, of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms. Now, I, I'm no rocket scientist. I'm probably not even good enough to put together rocket fuel. But I'm pretty sure you can't conquer a kingdom sitting still. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm certain of it. And, and so no one has ever conquered a kingdom by going, God will take care of it. Go get him, God. I'll be right here when you're done. But the reality is, is that faith has to move. Papa Staten used to tell us, put some feet, put some shoes, put some feet on them prayers. Get up and do something about it. Now, listen, if you go out and change the circumstance, that's not faith. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to go out and, and make something happen. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm going I'm to give you a couple of ways that faith moves scripturally, right? The first way that faith moves is the obvious way. It moves through obedience. Now, to me, there's really no more bizarre story in the entire Bible than the Battle of Jericho. I, I mean, it's really crazy, right? And, you know, here they've been walking around the desert for 40 years. They're not swordsmen. They're not fighting men. They're just guys who've been wandering around in the desert. And so Joshua, the new, the new leader, right, of Israel, he gets along with God, and God says, hey, Josh, go get your marching band together. Here's the plan. I, I mean, this is really silly, right? 
Joshua, you get all the people together and you walk around this big impregnable city seven times and don't nobody say nothing and you're going to do it seven more times then you're going to blow the horns and shout and all the walls are going to fall down. And so here comes Joshua. Now think about being Joshua. You're the new guy and you you come out and you say, look, everybody, I know Moses is dead and I'm the new guy, but here's the plan. And, and, And let's get the band together. Say what? No, 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 let's get the band together. I, I can fight. No, 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 no. You play the flute. I, I got a sword. No, no, no. You need a horn. I got a spear. That, my dad left me a spear. No, 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 no. No, no. You get a drum. Joshua, this, this doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. This is bizarre. This is the most absurd battle plan ever. And by faith, they begin to move. What are you talking about? I'm talking about obedience. It's, it's, it's more than just a great story, right? But you, you know, it's, it's, you've got to have this anticipation. What was their expectation when they walked up to Joshua, an army of people who couldn't, it had no ability at all. They weren't really, these, these, this whole group were born in the desert and they literally were wanderers. They weren't slaves. All of those folks that came out of Egypt, except for those two guys, they all died there. Nobody else. They had no skill, no ability. They went out in the morning and gathered their food. They followed when the, when the pillar moved or the cloud moved. They followed. That's all they knew how to do was follow. That's all they knew how to do. All they ha- all that's all they had. They had no skill, no ability. They weren't swordsmen. They weren't fighting. They didn't have bows and arrows. They didn't have chairs. They didn't have guns. They had nothing. And God says, y'all get the band together. And you come into the house of God, and we get the band together. And somebody gets starts singing about the goodness of God, and your faith has an expectation tied to it. Well, God can't move if they're leading the song. Well, God can't move if he's preaching. Well, God can't move if they're doing something, blah, 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 because I've got an expectation. What was their expectation when they walked up to Jericho? I got no idea. All they knew how to do was follow. All they knew how to do was be obedient. Brother Savati, I'm getting older. I don't have quite as much gray hair that you can see yet, but I want you, I want to learn how to follow because if my faith is going to move, it's going to move when I become obedient. It's going to move when I learn how to follow, when I learn how, listen, we're going to get the band together. You got a problem, you got a situation, you got a foundational element that's going to drive you into the presence of God. Don't come in the house of God and do this. Come in and pick up the flute. Come in and get those hands together. Come in and put your feet down. Come in and begin to do what the... Come on, I know it's an absurd battle sound. It don't make no sense. All, all the world is falling apart around you. And, and all the preacher says is you better worship God. You better magnify Jesus. You better lift up the King of Kings. I don't know, I don't know. But you've got an expectation. It's not going to go somewhere. But if you can come in with that spirit, God's going to do something today. I know my world's falling apart. I know I've got some discontent. But today is the day that I'm going to dance. Uh, today I'm going to wear out a pair of shoes. Uh, today I'm going to sweat all over the place. Today I'm going to shout. Today I'm going to look ridiculous. Today, why? Because I'm moving in my faith. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11, 33. 
By faith, they conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and they put foreign armies to flight. With the sword? No, by faith. With a tank or an airplane? No, with faith. Why? Because faith is moving. It's not static. It's not what you're doing. It doesn't terminate on itself. It moves. It shakes. It fires off. It's got something moving, right? Because it obeys. This is where faith works. It's never static. It's always moving. Why? You know, that's good. That's that's Old Testament stuff. No, no, you're missing the point, right? That poor old woman with the issue of blood, been suffering, lost all her money. You know the story. But she finally heard about Jesus, and now her faith begins to move. It wasn't an expectation. It was an anticipation. And she said, you know what? If I can just touch the hem of his garment. She didn't say, she didn't say, bro, she didn't say if I can touch his garment. She didn't say if I can touch the man. She didn't say if I can touch God. She said if I can just get a fingernail on the hem of, that's anticipation. There's something moving there. She said, you know what? If I can reach out beyond myself and begin to do something that's outside of my realm, then God will do something in my life. And God honored her act of faith because she allowed faith to move her. She allowed faith to get her to a place where she was not comfortable. Well, you just don't know how bad it is. No, but I'm sure an issue of blood for 12 years is pretty bad. I'm sure it's pretty bad, right? But she understood that through her obedience to the word, she could be healed. The second way that faith moves, probably the one that we forget most, we find it in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. I like this verse. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but they saw them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. The second way that your faith is going to move isn't necessarily with your feet or your legs or your hands, but with your mouth. You've got to confess some things. Faith says God's able. Now, I'm going to mess with some of your theology. Faith doesn't think God's able. Faith says God's able. How many of you believe God can heal you? Amen. Amen. Well, you got to confess that, right? Now, come here, come here, bro. I want you to help me. Come here, stand up here with me. Stand right here next to me. Look right at the camera so all our online family can see you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me, God's done a lot of good things in your life, hasn't he? I want you to tell me one good thing God has done for you, but you cannot open your mouth or move your lips. Ready? Go. Come on, let's go. Do it. Go sit down. You got no faith. You can't confess something without movement. They confessed 
This world is not my home. We open the door and say, come on in, welcome to my home. There's a, there's a little breakdown there, right? right? And so you, you and I need to understand that when faith begins to move, it begins to move with confession. I'm not telling you that you need to tell somebody that somebody else lives in your house. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to give you a principle here. I'm trying to help you understand that you've got to confess the promise of God. You've got to speak it out loud and believe it. It's got to start with anticipation, not expectation. And it's got to come verbally out of your mouth. God's going to heal me. God's going to deliver me. God's going to save my children. God's going to save my coworker. God's going to do God, Listen, you've got to say it. Why? I'm talking about faith. We talk about faith all the time. I'm trying to give you some different ideas about faith. It's going to start with some discontent. It's going to start with some trouble and some tribulation. And it's your opportunity to lift your head in glory and say, yeah, i got some bad stuff going on in my life, but I've got faith in Jesus Christ. I just know something good is about to happen. And you get to that next place where you begin to be obedient to the Word of God and you open your mouth and say, God can and God will. God can and God will. God can and God will. It's a principle from God's word. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Some of you need to make a, a big old tab in your Bible for this. The principle that Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. If you want your issue to get to heaven, you've got to confess Jesus Christ on the earth. That's a principle. That's how faith works. This is not my principle. It's not your principle. It's his principle. He never said, if you'll complain about your situation, I'll bring it to heaven. That's not what he said, right? He said, if you believe that Jesus Christ can heal you, you've got to confess it. Well, I'm not going to. Well, that's not faith. I, I just can't. Why not? Well, you know, it's a little embarrassing. What do you mean it's embarrassing? No, no, I, here's, we got to get to the place where we stop worrying about what other people think about us. We got to get to the point where I don't care what somebody thinks about me or says about me. I've got to follow the principle. If I begin to confess him, he'll confess me and my situation and my need in heaven. Paul wrote again to that church at Rome in Romans chapter 10. What saith it? He's talking about the word. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Lord, the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Can I tell you the principle? Take the word saved out of there and put in there what you need. Thou shalt be delivered. Thou shalt be set free. Thou shalt be lifted up. Thou shalt be encouraged. Thou shalt be, come on. That, that's a principle. It's not just you're going to, it's not just talking about salvation. He said, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 12, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. He said, Timothy, I want you to do this. I want you to fight for faith. I want you to get a hold of eternal life. He said, you're called unto, and you have professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
We talk about the first half of that verse, but we leave the second half alone. The New Living Translation says the second half of that verse this way, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Oh, well, that, that, you know, that's top level. You don't, you don't understand. Well let, well, let me peel it back. Why aren't you confessing? Why? Because I'm worried about what people are going to say about me. Well, well okay, uh, let's peel it back a little more. Well, I've got too much pride. Okay, well, what's under that? Let's peel it back. Well, I'm not really sure. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the... Paul said we're preaching this word. We're preaching because it's the word of faith. It's what's going to create faith. It's what's going to build faith. And so if you're not in the word, you're going to struggle with faith. Well, I don't feel that I deserve to be healed. No, 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 that's not how it works. Sweetheart, you ain't ever deserved anything you ever got from Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, honey, child, you don't deserve it now. You won't deserve it then. Say it that loud, Brother Jose. Honey, child, you got to tell somebody, right? How many of you confessed your sins in order to receive forgiveness? Raise your hand. You, You did that, right? You confessed that. So why not confess your other needs to the Lord, right? You confess your sins. You didn't deserve forgiveness. You didn't deserve, you didn't deserve mercy. You didn't deserve grace. You didn't deserve the favor of God, but he gave it to you anyway. The principle is the same. In Mark chapter 2, verse 10, 11, he said he looked at that lame man, and there was a great day. They come in, and they've ripped the roof off, and they've lowered the man down, and he's laying on the bed. And Jesus said, he looked around, and he said, he said to the man earlier, like in verse 8 or something, he said, he said take up thy bed and walk. And he looks around and he senses what's going on in the crowd. And he said, you know what? Just so you know, so the crowd would understand, so that you know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say to thee, get up, take up your bed and go thy way. But he starts with forgiveness. Thy sins be forgiven thee. He said there's not a difference between that. And so we somehow feel like it's okay to come to an altar and say, God, I've messed up, I've sinned, I've quit, I've fallen. And we say, I confess that, and I know that you're faithful and just to forgive me. But why isn't he faithful and just to heal you or to deliver you or to set you free? Why? Because we're not confessing it, because we don't believe it, because we've got an expectation and not an anticipation. I'm talking about the power of God. Jesus said there's no difference. You didn't deserve one and you don't deserve the other, but but if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess your situation in heaven. I got to get my situation to heaven. I got to get my circumstance before the throne. I'm not just leaving it here on the carpet. I want it there. I got to confess it. That's why he said confess your faults one to another. Why? Not, Not so your brother would know. Not so your son's stick in the mud, but because you're trying to get it out there for God. You're trying to, I gotta confess that God can save me. God can deliver me. Well, you don't know how bad it is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. That's just the foundational element. It's just the thing that's driving you, that's pushing you, that's pressing you toward a place of faith. But if you can go beyond expectation and have anticipation and begin to move through obedience to the word and begin to confess the word, then faith becomes activated and it begins to move. 
Well, I tried that and it didn't happen. <clears throat> he didn't put a timeline on it. We'll talk about that. You, you, you've got to kind of understand if you're putting an expectation on it, God, I need to be delivered today. Yeah, it might be true. You might feel that way, but that's an expectation. But I can't live, and you can't live in expectation. We've got to live in anticipation. And that anticipation, like that old commercial said, making me wait. And everybody stood up in line and said, oh, let me wait. No, it doesn't work that way, right? So the third thing that faith does, it anticipates and it moves through obedience and it moves through confession. But the third one is that faith perseveres. Now this is very, very important that you understand this. Because perseverance is so much more than endurance. It's more than just holding on to the end because perseverance is persistence in doing something that has difficulty or even has delay in achieving success. But endurance, right, is enduring this unpleasant or difficult process, process without giving way. But there's a real slight difference between perseverance and endurance. And the difference is this. Endurance has a limit. Endurance says, I can't, I can't take no more. Endurance says, I, I, this is all I can take. I'm just, I'm at my limit. I, I can't do anymore. But persistence, which is the key to perseverance, no, no, no. It doesn't judge by how much I can stand or how much I can take or how long it takes. Persistence is like that woman before the unjust judge. She just had no quit in her. I, I love, I, I love Sister the Temple's prayer request. It, it, every single Wednesday night, pray for my boys. Why? Because she's got no quit in her. She understands that there's, there's a difference between the endurance and persistence. I, I, I'm persevering. I, is there's no limit on this thing. You know, I, I said it last week. Pastor said it on Sunday. But these are the words of Job. If he kills me, if he slays me, still I will trust him. You've got to know, you've got to understand that faith has to have an element of perseverance. It's not about endurance. It's not about you. It's not about how much you can do, how much you can go through, how much you can take. Because that endurance, it has a limit. It's got, it's got a finite point where you say, that's it, I quit, I give up. But, but if you get some perseverance in you, you're going to get a hold of something. You're going to grab on. And no matter how long or how hard the wind blows, you're just going to stay. You're not going to Nowhere. I'm telling you, the folks uh, that have come through the church uh, and they quit, uh, they had some endurance, uh, but they didn't have any perseverance. Uh, but if you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to get uh, beyond endurance uh, and you've got to get to a place of preservation. I'm going to persevere. I don't have any quit in me. This is what faith does. Faith doesn't set a limit to it. 
Faith doesn't say, this is as far as I'll go and I won't go anymore. That's, that's not what, faith doesn't do that. Faith won't do that. That's what endurance does. Endurance says, oh, this is all I can take. I just can't stand anymore. But when you get an attitude of real faith that's got real perseverance, oh, I can only handle one line, but I can't handle two. I can handle three lines, but I can't handle four. Then you put a limit on it and you limit God and God never moves because you put an expectation and a limit on it. But if you go to a place where you're eager and anticipating and believing that God's going to do something and you began to move in faith through obedience and you confess uh, this world is not my home. Uh, this situation is not the blessing God has promised me. And you begin to move through that and you've got no quitting. You God will do the miraculous. But look at verse 13 of Hebrews 11. All these died after faith. It's not what it says. They died in faith without receiving the promises. But read it. They saw them and they welcomed them from a distance because they confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the, in the earth. You ever, you ever think about Abraham, the father of the faithful? Brother Jose, he comes and God says, Abraham, I'm going I'm to make a city out of you. Because the Bible says he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. I'm going to build a city out of you. I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. And Abraham dies in a tent without one brick laid on another brick. Without one stone laid on another stone. But Abraham had faith. Oh no, I, I, I can only go so far. I can, I can only do so much. I can, oh no, no, no. God promises him a city and he dies in a tent. But Abraham never gave up on God. He said, even if it don't happen in my lifetime, I believe he's able. And he began to confess, this is not my home. I don't live in the earth of the counties. I may be a nomad, but I am a son of God. And he began to confess it and believe it and anticipate that whether it happens in this lifetime or the next, God is going to do it. Well, what about all those other names? Well, what about them? You go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. The women received their dead, raised to the life again. Others were tortured. They refused to accept deliverance uh, that they might obtain a better, re better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, and they had moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented of the world. This world was not worthy of them. Why? because they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, but they never gave up their faith because it wasn't tied to an expectation. It wasn't no limits set on it. They said, you know, God's able to do this, but you can't stop there. You've got to read verses 39 and 40 because the writer says, and all these having obtained a good report through faith did not get what they were promised. Receive not the promise. Why? Because, verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us that those people should not be made perfect without us. 
What, what are you talking about? I'm talking about they gained approval through their faith, but they're tied to us, and we're tied to them. You, you, got to, you got to grasp what I'm, I'm trying to tell you here. Faith is not some weak, pitiful emotion. It's strong. It's vigorous. It's confident. It's built on the fact that a holy God in heaven loves you. Faith perseveres through prayer. Faith perseveres through worship. And even though you can't see it, he's doing it right now. I don't know. If you, you don't give up and you go through this, would I, would I surrender my life for a better resurrection? It's a tough choice. But they made the choice because they laid down their expectation. And they lived a life that anticipated. There's that, just that something inside of me makes me sit on the edge of the seat. The reality is for humanity, we take our Bible to bed with us so we can go to sleep quicker. Because your humanity is only interested in what it can see, feel, hear, touch, and taste. But somewhere the spiritual man has got some anticipatory element to him. We've got to find a place in this word where we begin to read that promise and put it into our life. We begin to look at that word and say, that word's for me, that word's for me. And we've got to let it, be, we've got to become obedient to that anticipatory feeling. I'm talking to some folks and I'm telling you that when things don't go your way, you can't get upset about it. You get mad at God, you lose out, you lose everything. Why? Because he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Paul said, we glory in that. And Jeff said, no, we don't. <laughs> Paul, you're weird, man. I don't get up. The car broke down. Woohoo! The car broke down. No. The dog ran away. No. Whatever. You fill in the blank. No. My humanity don't want to get up and get excited. I don't want to go. No, 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 no. I want to shout when something good goes on. Because we're programmed that way. We're, we're, we're built that way. We're putting, right? I want to I get, a, listen, I want to get up there and say, man, I want to, this, this is a good thing. I want to I celebrate that. And listen, we should celebrate the good things. But sometimes we got to have a spirit of faith in us that when everything is going wrong, we can come into the house of God and say, not today, devil, not today, flesh. Today, I'm anticipating a move of God. Today, I'm ready for a move of God. Today, I'm hungry for a move of God. I don't know if this is the day, but it's a day. And this is the day the Lord hath made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm coming in obedience. And I'm going to open the word. And I'm going to move in the promise. And I'm going to confess that he's good when everything is not. And I have got no quit in me. I'm not going to be limited by endurance. I am a child of God and I live in faith. So you're telling me, preacher, that when I get home and there's some disaster at my house, that I should glory in that. I'm telling you that's what the Word says. I'm telling you when I get home, I'm in my humanity, just like you are. 
and water running through the floor is not going to make me go, woohoo. But if I can somehow get my perspective, step back from the situation and say, you know what, this is just an opportunity for God to show off. This is just an opportunity for him to bless me. This is just an opportunity, whether he does or he doesn't, for him to do what he does. And all I've got to do is go from expectation that everything's going to be right in my life to anticipation. And I'm going to allow that word of God to begin to move me. And I'm going to open my mouth. And I'm not going to confess the negative and the bad and the ugly. I'm going to say Jesus loves me, even when all the world doesn't. And I'm going to say he's good when everything around me is falling apart. And I'm going to say, you know what? I ain't got no quit in me. I don't have a limit on this thing. I am going to stay here until Jesus Christ comes. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about faith. This is what faith does. Faith isn't just showing up to church. Faith is having anticipation. Faith is moving. Faith perseveres. Faith is that supreme effort. Because it's not for everybody. There's a lot of fair-weathered faith folk out there, Brother James. They believe, they trust as long as everything's going good, but let something go bad. God doesn't love me anymore. Wait a minute. For God so loved the world. God is love. There ain't no darkness in him at all. He is light, right? He's my provider. He's my deliverer. He's my healer. He's my, come on, you got to read those promises. You got to get them into your spirit and you've got to let them begin to anticipate. You've got to believe those things. You've got to become a confessor of the promises of God. It may not happen in my lifetime. Who cares? Take it to the grave with you. Take it to heaven with you and confess it at the throne and say, I never gave up Jesus. I never quit on you, Lord. I never backed up once. I don't have a limit on me what faith does. Won't you stand with me? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on